The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente. I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Tyler Ball. What's going on, Tyler? Hey, what's happening, man? Busy week in sports, as usual. Uh, I'm good, man. I'm good. Yes, yes. So busy that we had to bring on a special guest this week. This week, we've got none other than the labor con himself, Mr. Dwayne. What's going on, Dwayne? Hey, how's it going? Um, glad to be here. Glad to be back. Thanks for having me, as always. All right, man. All right, you can follow Know the Score on Twitter at KTSPod. You can also find us on the web at www.cspn.us. You can also listen to us through iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher Radio. You can also download us through any app that plays or lets you subscribe to podcasts. So also follow our co-host, Tyler Ball at TABall1. And Dwayne, let the people know where they can follow you, man. Um, you can follow me at the Libra Icon on Twitter, IG, Snapchat, same name. All right, all right. Glad that you could be here. So we're going to get right into it as we had the two most magical words in sports, Game 7 of the World Series. This past uh, evening, last night, as we record this, as the Houston Astros defeated the Los Angeles Dodgers 6-1 to one to claim their very first World Series. Um, one of the best World Series in a long time. Some epic games. Uh, game five may have been the best baseball game that anybody's ever seen. Uh, the Astros pulled it out in 10 innings, uh, 13 to 12. It's basically like a game of runs, like a basketball, like a college basketball game. Uh, George Springer got hot after game two. He was your MVP. And a team that was the worst team in baseball three years ago is now your World Series champions, the Houston Astros. So, Tyler, we'll let you speak on it first. I know that, you know, we thought that the Astros would be very good. They jumped out to a big lead uh, in their division. Then the Cleveland Indians came out of nowhere, went on a historic run, kind of put the Astros to the back burner a little bit. But in the playoffs, they rose to the top. So, you know, give us some thoughts on the World Series champs. Okay. Um, the the hottest thing on the streets right now in media is the um, the Sports Illustrated article in 2004 that predicted the Astros would be the 2017 champs, even down to putting George Springer on that particular cover. Um, this this championship was it really was won when the uh, Astros decided to they decided to tank and. I know that even though that is the the, the anti narrative now, because fans want to see their teams win, um, the U- Houston embraced the attitude that they were going to be terrible for three years, build up through the build up their farm system, build up through the draft, and it's more likely that your targets will your first round and second round targets were going to produce and produce right away, and it turns out they were pretty much right on all counts. This was the process before the process. Um, this is what, you know, the 76ers dream to emulate. Um, but, of course, this is baseball, and, you know, your prospects do have time to actually develop. It's just that when you're picking so high in the draft, you got to figure 
that, you know, eight or nine of your top 20 prospects that you draft are going to produce. And it just so happens that they did. Um, this team is homegrown. And that's actually the mood of baseball. Um, that your top, you look at your top programs, the Cubs, the Yankees, these two teams, uh, Astros and um, the Astros and the Dodgers. You look at your uh, look at Cleveland. Um, you know, these guys, these teams have totally focused on building from the ground up and, and restoring the farm system after years and years of giving up talent to sign the hot, sign a hot free agent to try to win a, win a championship during the trading deadline. So this, this particular series was one on the bats of Altuve and of course Springer and of course Carlos Correa and some shrewd pitching decisions, um, you know, for, uh, for example, and, uh, a guy like like McCullers, uh, th- throwing throwing curveballs and and you know confusing the Dodger bats, um, you know the the uh, Verlander having one of the best playoff runs, are arguably of all time, um, you know right up into the series. I mean he was he was undefeated going into the World Series since he joined the team uh, via free agency. He was that final piece, um, but overall. Uh, Houston is just one of those, you know, worst of first stories. And that's going to be the model of how not only just in baseball, but in every other professional league, they're going to try to follow the Astros because, you know, the Astros are considered to be kind of a medium, a media market, not necessarily a big market. So those, that's the model. You know, you're going to have to take some losses and they took 300 of them, but to build where they are right now, and now they're ready to have a four or five year run. Um, it's they feel like it's worth it. Uh, Dwayne, I'm gonna bring you in on this. As the series were on, it kind of looked like the ebb and flow of the games. It looked like the Dodgers still had the upper hand going into maybe what could be a game seven. You know, in their stadium. What do you think happened to them? Do you think the pressure got to them, or just a bad pitching matchup? Because the one person on the uh, staff that the Houston Astros would be familiar with would be you Darvish because he came from the Texas Rangers and that's a divisional rival for Houston. Right. And I also think, you know, $265 million payroll, the Dodgers, they had some guys in the system, but they also bought a lot of talent too. And, you know, developing the talent out does buying the talent. You know, you could look at the 03 world series when the Marlins beat the Yankees. And also to answer the question as well, I think the I think the pressure did get to the Dodgers. You know, you have a team that has had a lot of great success in the regular season over the last several years. They've had moderate postseason success. You know, Clayton Kershaw, one of the best pitchers in the game, but he's had a shaky postseason career until this year. You know, they're able to string together a um, some good runs in the postseason, but I, I think after Game Six, you know, it was it seemed like it was written in stone that the Dodgers would take Game Seven because you have Game Seven at home, you have teams that are fourteen and two in Game Sevens at home, but you know they they fell on the wrong side of it this year. I think having the familiarity of you Darvish in the in the lineup. For the for the Astros, that 
that helped it because he he pretty much crumbled and and uh, you could see the desperation in the Dodgers because you put Kenley Jansen in in the seventh inning and after that it's like you know who's going to be the next guy up you know you're gonna run the risk out of your closer even taking that bat you know to try to save the runs but at the end of the day you know the the bats of the Astros were just hot Springer was on fire the last four games first player to ever hit a home run in four straight World Series games you know that's remarkable well-deserved MVP well-deserved title and I also think you know with the we forgot one of the teams that also started the developing movement as well you know were the Mets because the Mets had a lot of homegrown talent, especially in the pitching, even though they got decimated this year, that homegrown talent got them to the World Series uh, a couple of years ago, you know, where the Royals, another team that developed as well, out outplayed them and won. So to answer that question, in conclusion, I, the Dodgers crumbled, you know, the Astros were more poised, and that's why they're the champs now. All right. Yeah, I've always believed that the best way to be really good for four or five years in a row is to be really bad for like two or three. And that's really the only way to go. And Houston definitely went that way. And, you know, you, you get your homegrown talent, you get your guys in your system. And, you know, at the very end of the run, if you need that one more veteran piece, you've got plenty of good players to trade away. And you can get somebody like Verlander. And so they just used the, the perfect package of how you, you know, make a contender kind of like what the Rays did, you know, and they were just awful. And then they got new management. They hit rock bottom and then all of a sudden they came back up and then they were, you know, a good contending team for a good little while. They've kind of done the same thing and they're trying to, you know, they're probably going to be a team to watch next year. A lot of, you know, scouts and everything will probably be talking about the Rays. So it can be done a lot easier than baseball, I think, like Tyler said, because you get more time with your with your prospects to develop. And a lot of people don't get to see them, you know, go through the labor of becoming good. They just get to see the finished product a lot of times. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the Astros continue the success, if the Dodgers can get back, if the Yankees with a little bit more experience, you know, how dangerous will they be? And if the Indians will have good luck in the postseason, they've seen to have you know, great luck in the regular season, but bad luck in the postseason. So, you know, baseball definitely got a big uptick with this World Series. I think a lot of people were, you know, very much interested and got wrapped up in these games. So hats off to the Houston Astros and a great postseason. Just to remind you, this is No Score. We are brought to you by the CSPN Network. You can follow us and join us through on Twitter at KTSPod. Join the conversation by using the hashtag KTS pot. So guys, we're going to shift into the NFL as last week we had, you know, the battle of the two co-hosts here as I'll have to tip my cap to my co-host, Mr. Tyler ball as his coaching staff outwitted my coaching staff did the thing that they were good at ran Zeke Elliott until the time ran out and they defeated the Washington Redskins. Uh, at FedEx Field. So congratulations, sir. A little recap of the game from your side, if you please. Uh, you know, after um, after watching it and, you know, at, over the last agonizing few moments of it, particularly with the late score, um, I'm kind of numb to it because I don't think either team played that well. Uh, 
I think that every time Dallas moves forward, they would take two steps back with some uh, with some horrible uh, holding calls. Matter of fact, um, you had you practically had you had a touchdown call back because of a holding call, and then you had a definitely a touchdown taken off of the board that ended up as a field goal as a result of another holding call. So it was just a, a an ugly um, contest to look at as the rains came pouring down. Um, when Dallas figured out that they could still run the football, and as long as they didn't didn't hold the jerseys and just remained on their blocks, uh, Zeke could essentially carry them to you know carry them to the win, and that's essentially what they did. Um, they got some gratuitous uh, giveaways from the Redskins on back to back plays, uh, and the game the the game essentially turned on one play, which was the block field goal which eventually Dallas ended up scoring a touchdown off of uh, after the long return by, um, by Skandrick. So it was, it was one ugly, it was an ugly game. Um, I, you know, that's one of those where you just, you almost throw the, throw the film clip out because you, you, you liked what you saw in running the football, but you made so many mistakes that you just, you just want to just not look at it. (laughs) But, um, Finally, the Cowboys got some giveaways, which was probably the brightest spot of um, of the game. And it's, you know, Cowboys haven't been able to turn over the football in all nearly 200 snaps uh, before um, before the first one for um, for this game. So that was that has long been a a moment of discussion in the Cowboys camp. So, you know, and Rod Mary Nelly has been preaching, you know, put put multiple guys around the ball and, and try to rip the ball out and, you know, make plays on defense. And finally, the defense made plays. Uh, I didn't think our team played very smart, but we threw the ball too much for the weather conditions. Didn't think we gave the running game a chance to even show itself. Um, Too many passes then uh, in the first half, first quarter, especially when we're playing well, Offense is moving up and down the field. You're kicking field goals. Only get one touchdown when you get inside the red zone. You get there four times in the first half. That's where you lose the football game. Uh, it could be, you know, at the best 21 nothing. At worst, hopefully 17 to 3. You know, Dallas got a got a quick, easy touchdown. So 17-7, you, could, you know, have them up by two scores. But never materializes like that. And, you know, that's the reason why I think Kirk Cousins isn't really getting the look and the love from the from the front office. It's just that, yeah, those numbers look nice, except for, like, in the games, when you look at the particular games, it's like, you know, you didn't get us these touchdowns when they matter. You know, yeah, you bring down two scores with six minutes to go and you score with five minutes left. And the probability of us really winning this game is pretty, pretty low. And if you could have done that in the second quarter or the first quarter, then, you know, it increases our chances of winning the game. So um, I just didn't think the the game plan was all that all that smart, considering that, like Tyler said, it was bad weather in the second half, especially, and the game wasn't out of reach. So um, we'll shift over to this week, where the week started out with Ezekiel Elliott, Elliot getting suspended once again. 
Tyler, the yo-yo back and forth with all of this. And I know that affects your team greatly. Dwayne, what do you think, man? Do you think that uh, Zeke City just went ahead and took the six out of the gate and it would have been over with by now? And, you know, he would have been uninterrupted. Or do you think that, you know, this is basically what we're going to get for the rest of the year. He gets suspended. They get an injunction and he goes back and he's going to make it through the whole season. I think two, two, two answers here. First answer. Yeah, he should have took the six, and this would be a moot issue right about now. Um, the second answer, this is going to be the norm. He's going to keep fighting it, and he's going to uh, get fired for it. There are going to be changes. And, and then my whole thing is this affects my fantasy team, okay? So I have to really just kind of find ways around it, but... That's how that's just the way the game goes. And you know, Zeke has been great for my my team personally. So um so it's probably gonna be the norm, just gotta keep um he just has to be ready because if the injunction comes down, he'll play. Um if not, then we just gotta let it sit. And I think maybe he should just let these next few weeks go by, but I know he's gonna keep fighting it and He's not going to just uh, lay down and let the NFL do what it needs to do. Um, it's just the whole situation is just uh, disappointing, disturbing, and I, we just need a resolution to it at the end of the day. Right. Now, that was followed up by the trading deadline. Now, usually in the NFL, the trading, line, trading deadline just comes and goes, really not much action. Not this year as the trading deadline was a buzz as Dwayne Brown was the first domino as he ended his holdout with the Houston Texans. And then he was traded to Seattle to help upgrade their struggling offensive line. So Seattle seems to be hitting their stride on offense and now they're getting some uh, O-line help. So I know Russell Wilson is quite happy uh, at these developments, but no, that was just the start of the craziness as then next the San Francisco 49ers went out and got their quarterback of the future as they traded a 2018 second-round pick for none other than Jimmy Garoppolo, of the, formerly of the New England Patriots. Now, Tyler, this was a pretty big domino. Um, it looks like that Garoppolo is probably going to get into the system and have a chance to play the remaining seven games of the season of the 49ers schedule. Um, I guess they will re-sign him at the end of the season, or maybe this could be a, you know, kick the tires in actual real-life gameplay. Uh, do you think that this kind of takes San Francisco out of the market for a quarterback, or is it smart getting a guy that you don't have to re-sign and you can actually, you know, see what he's got in a real-life situation? I think this is a win-win for everyone involved. Um, but to answer the question directly, um, yeah, you you really don't have much to lose by getting Garofalo and um, you know, and you and on top of that, you give up. Uh, you you get you let Brian Hoyo go, so um, so now you you essentially have two positions over. So you can you can actually decide whether or not to to draft a quarterback in the first round, and then you know let them win it out. Let them try to go go after the job. So um, I think it was very low risk, and you get probably a guy who 
gets a chance to finally prove himself and who wants to pull, who wants a chance to play. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think he's 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 been around uh, a great ball club long enough to where you know he finally gets his chance. So um, you know, I know he's going to a bad team, obviously, but I think that having that opportunity is you know the 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 greater of you know choices. And then on top of that, you um you now have an opportunity to you know, look at your quarterback situation head on and, and try to at least get that fixed. And you I mean, after all, at the end of the day, you're still just guessing because right now I don't see a quarterback, a a number one overall quarterback that you, a quarterback you could take with the number one overall pick. I don't, I just don't right now. Um, do you look at the best quarterback prospects here? And geez, if Sam Darnold comes, Sam Darnold has played so poorly that he may stay in school. Uh, you got Josh Rosen, who is who is eh, you know, not the kind of season that he wanted to have. Uh, you know, Mason Rudolph has has had has put up some great numbers, but he's also thrown away some games too. Um, you know, even look at the Maverick, uh, Riley Ferguson, who reminds me of um, Friday Night Lights over at Memphis. Got a cannon on him, but people are going to question his size. So there's no clear cut number one overall pick type talent. And obviously, uh, the 49ers will probably have that pick. So, um, I just don't. I just think you make you make this move now, and you get him in the running to be your quarterback because you know you got a quarterback guy as a coach. All right, Dwayne. Uh, I would have thought that the Patriots would have, you know, kept Garoppolo and kind of had a succession plan, kind of like the old school 49ers where they have Montana and then they transition into Young. Um, they. Uh, are going to reclaim Brian Hoyer to be Tom Brady's backup. Do you think that the arrogance of the uh, Patriots is going to finally bite him in the butt as now they've got rid of both of their backup quarterbacks who showed that they could actually play a little bit? I think that with the Patriots, it doesn't matter who you plug into the system. It depends on how long Belichick coaches because you can plug anybody into that system and they will succeed. Look at Matt Castle. Uh, 2008 had replaced Tom Brady. Patriots went 10 and six, and he still has a job in the NFL to this day. Um, Ryan Mallett, you know, somehow he still has a job in the NFL um, because he was able to be a reliable, somewhat backup to the to the Patriots. So I, I don't think not necessarily having an audition and they should uh, enhance your enhance the. Um, the gameplay, I think the Patriots just have a system that just works for them. Mm-hmm. And as a result, you know, people are successful. So I'm excited to see how Jimmy G will go to San Francisco if he does get the chance to play, and which he should and should be able to, and uh, see how he does uh, with, with all the stuff he's learned over the years being Tom Brady's backup. I want to see how he does. I want to see if I want to see if he can – get that team turn around where he can make it his team so they don't have to worry about trying to sign somebody in the offseason. You know, of course, that was the whole um, anticipation with Shanahan and Cousins having the relationship in Washington where they be the guy in San Francisco. We just have to wait and see. Mm-hmm. Uh, the trades did not stop there. They were just really getting started. As next, we had Jay Ajayi get traded from the Dolphins to the Philadelphia Eagles as they sure up their backfield. And then, and the final deal of the day, 
the Buffalo Bills and the Carolina Panthers work out a deal where the Bills get Kelvin Benjamin to sure up their final spot that they were missing to try to secure a playoff berth for the first time since 1999. Wow. So, um, Dwayne, let me bring you back in really fast. Carolina, getting rid of Kelvin Benjamin. Uh, They're struggling on offense right now. Um, They really haven't had, uh, you know, very consistent uh, offense since Greg Olson got injured. Um, What are they thinking? So when I saw this on, I thought I was getting pumped when I saw this uh, trade here. And the, my initial reaction was the Panthers. I even had the Panthers on Twitter. And I was like, y'all, y'all are stupid. And so that was my initial reaction. So a few days to kind of mull it over, think about it. I still think it's – I think because Brandon Bean, who's the general manager of Buffalo, he has, he has ties to Kelvin Benjamin more than Marty Herney does. Um Brandon Bean worked under Dave Gettleman, and he did work under Marty Herney too. He was with the Panthers for 20 years before taking the GM job in Buffalo, um, and so that that obviously was the key point in the trade. Uh, Sean McDermott was the Panthers' defense coordinator. He's the Bills' head coach now, and the Bills not knowing what Anquan Bolden's going to do or what he wants to do, so they needed to make a move, and they got. Benjamin for literally peanuts. Now Carolina, Herney's reaction was they want to put more they want to focus more on speed. So they want to you want to utilize Demir Bird, Curtis Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, uh, try to get more speed out there. But and then you still have a big body receiver in Devin Funches on the other side of Benjamin. Um, also Benjamin did cost more than Funches, so I so it looked like shedding salary was uh, one of the factors too. I I get why the Panthers did it, but I think Benjamin is um, even though he was hurt a lot in Carolina, he was still the more reliable receiver over Funches, and especially with uh, Olsen out, it's gonna be real interesting to see how the team is going to function without you know Kelvin on offense. It, I don't think it was a good trade. It's one of the moves like this is one of the reasons why Marty Herney got fired before as a GM, but he is the interim GM right now. Uh, we just have to see how it plays out. Okay. And Tyler, I'll let you finish up on the trade talk with how do you feel about Jay Ajayi coming into the NFC East and uh, helping Philadelphia, who, you know, they're already playing lights out football. And uh, now they kind of get one more piece uh, to their playoff puzzle. Um. This is an interesting uh, setup now for the Eagles. You have a two. You essentially have a two-back system that uh, that's similar to New England. Real, really three backs. Three backs when you add uh, Smallwood, who is your pass-catching, receiving type um, type back. So you now have depth at the position. You can run Ajayi on first down. Uh, you can. You can. Uh, actually run him on first and second down. Maybe he'll get you six or seven yards on two carries, and then you bring in your battering ram and blunt on third and short. Uh, you know, this actually keeps the blunt fresh, and this was the formula the Patriots used um, when blunt scored 17 touchdowns uh, for the Patriots a couple uh, 
uh, a season back. So the formula is there, and Peterson plays, you know, even though I don't consider him a conservative coach, but he's kind of learning from his, his mentor and Andy Reid and how to really build an offense that's that's dynamic in every situation, which is great. I still think they need to get some get a receiver upgrade for them to be a real uh, threat in the in the future. But because they've gotten off to such a fast start, and with uh, aforementioned uh, Dallas losing Ezekiel Elliott possibly for six games now, um, they're going to be a hard out uh, between now and the regular seat and the end of the regular season. So they they may just waltz into the number one seed, and now they're they're offense is a portable one um they can you know they may not have to go on the road but they can win in any kind kind of uh any kind of climate because they 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 can run the football now which is great for Carson Wentz which means he can he probably doesn't have to be as great on third down as he's been all season long so Mm -hmm. you open up play action which makes Wentz even deadlier between those uh, 15 to 17 yard throws that he likes to hit. So this is, this is all good for them. And uh, Ajayi comes from a system where they run a lot of inside zone where Miami was doing a lot of the, you know, read option and, and, and runs out of the pistol and the shotgun. So, you know, he'll be able to pick up on, on the playbook pretty easy. So yeah, it, it this should definitely put Philadelphia in a place where unless Wentz gets hurt, uh, they're pretty much going to win the division unless they get swept by Dallas. And uh, and they just get injuries because uh, right now they're just playing so well. And now they added an element of being able to jump out on you fast and now be able to put a running back that can, you know, shorten the game. You know, that definitely is going to cover up any weaknesses they have in their secondary for sure. So uh, Philadelphia definitely improves themselves a lot. So getting into this week's games really fast, we got Atlanta traveling to Carolina. Um as we just mentioned, Kelvin Benjamin no longer on the team. Cam Newton uh, with his new set of weapons. Atlanta's really struggling. Um, their defense is not playing up the par. They almost gave one back to the Jets to play them tough, but they held on and won. Offense has been kind of hit or miss. So, Tyler, who you got, Atlanta or Carolina? Um, wow, this is this is kind of a pick em. and it's and it's in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. I, Oh yeah! Oh gosh, this is this is gonna be tough. Um, well, I'm looking at what's gonna be the deciding factor, and I think that Cam Newton just doesn't have trust in. It, it takes a, probably a week for him to have trust in the guys that are left from you know from losing Benjamin. Um, this is unfortunate for Cam uh, because right now he's just he's in a bit of a slump. And Benjamin kind of helped him out of a slump. And Benjamin was one of the reasons why he was actually playing well um, right. a few weeks ago where he could, you know, even though he wasn't necessarily getting a running game, but he was able to hit targets down the field, particularly uh, Benjamin. So um, right now I would shoot, I, I, you know, Carolina's offense doesn't scare me. There's no Greg Olson who can, who can draw a safety over, um, you know, and Carolina's other receivers aren't, aren't known talents that are going to physically uh, get open in man-to-man coverage. So I'm, I'm not sure what they're going to do. Um, Atlanta takes this by default. Um, All right. I'll say 20 to 20 to 13. 
All right. Dwayne, I'm going to let you pick between the Bills and the Jets. Uh, the Thursday night game tonight. So, Kelvin is not playing. Not enough time to look at the playbook. So, um, anytime you have two AFC East rivals, anything can happen. And so, I'm going to – most times when I – go against the Jets this season, the Jets have actually ended up winning. So I want to really just say that the Jets will somehow get a win tonight because they will run the ball effectively. Um, Tyrod Taylor, he'll scramble. He'll do what he needs to do. Uh, But I think he still doesn't have a consistent aerial attack until Kelvin learns that playbook. And I want to go with – I'm going to go with the Jets on this one. All right. Now, I'm going to come back to you for this one. Detroit versus Green Bay. All right. The other primetime game Monday night. So, I'm going to go with the Lions because I still don't trust Brett Hundley. Um, I know Aaron Rodgers is back in the facility trying to get Brett um, geared and ready for for the rest of the season, trying to do all he can to help, but it's just not the same with Aaron Rodgers. The Packers' run defense is too shaky. Um, I think Abdullah's going to have a better game. I think Aaron Jones is going to play well. They run the ball quite a bit, but Detroit has has the advantage. I want to go with Detroit. All right. Mr. Tyler Ball, I'm going to bring you back in as your Dallas Cowboys take on the Kansas City Chiefs. What do you think? Well, um, Kansas City has everything that it can ask for. They get a game on turf in Jerry World. They've got the speed on the perimeter. They've got a speedy running back. And they've got a Dallas linebacking core, with the exception of Sean Lee, that doesn't tackle well. This can get really ugly. Um, I think that Dallas will try to keep pace by throwing over the middle to Witten. Maybe getting some, uh, maybe try to get Cole Beasley loose as he's kind of been quiet over the last couple of weeks. But quite honestly, um, even if Dak doesn't make the usual mistake, um, if he makes one, it's still going to be one too many. And I just think that Kansas City is not going to have any issues running, uh, running hunt uh, between the tackles and eating up yards every carry. No no reason why I, I can't see them averaging uh, less than four yards a carry against this, this particular Dallas defense. And, of course, you get play action to Tariq Hill. Dallas has nobody that can stay with him. Uh, so you hit a couple of those, you get a lead, you sit on the ball. And Dallas um, Dallas may try to keep up, but they're probably going to be one or two scores behind the whole the entire game. So I'm looking at Kansas Kansas City 28, uh, Dallas 17. All right. And the final game that we'll talk about will be the Washington football team traveling out to Seattle, Washington to take on the Seahawks. Uh, the Washington football team has a ton of injuries, a, be- uh, a bunch of injuries along the offensive line. So uh, the best that I could ask for is that um, Kirk Cousins doesn't 
you know, get injured in this game. If he basically can start next week, then that will be a win for the Washington football team. Uh, this one could get pretty ugly. I, I don't know how in the world we're going to score. Doesn't look like Jordan Reed's going to play in this game. Um, Trent Williams is probably going to be out. Sheriff may go. So, uh, yeah, this could be one of those, you know, 31 to 13 type games and just hopefully we don't suffer any more injuries. Uh, that's been a big part of our season right now. Uh, getting derailed is uh, not playing well and we're getting uh, hit by injuries. So um, hopefully Kirk Cousins doesn't die going up against this uh, defensive line that Seattle has because I'm sure they'll be playing from behind. So we're going to switch over really quick to the NBA. Dwayne, the Cavaliers, they've been going through some hard times, as Dusty Rose would say. Um, they've been losing to the also Rams four in a row if they've lost to Orlando, Brooklyn, New York, and the Pacers just last night. Um, some of these games have looked, uh, you know, really bad as far as lots of turnovers and lacks on defense. Uh, is, is Isaiah Thomas – the cure for what ails them, or is this something that we probably should have expected considering that they're an, an older team and, you know, old guys don't really like to play defense? Oh, that's a good question. I'm going to say that it's a case where it's um, some of these teams aren't really as bad as they look. I mean, the Magic are tied at the top of the Eastern Conference, even though it's eight games in the season. They're six and two. The Pacers are five and three. The Pistons are five and three. And Brooklyn, who is supposed to have like no wins right now, they have three. So I don't know what. It's kind of hard to say if Isaiah Thomas is the answer per se. Um, he's a very dynamic player. I mean, me being a Boston Celtics fan, I loved him in Boston. I hated the trade at first when it happened, but I think he can help them get right. I think he'll give them another score behind. Excuse me, behind LeBron, but but um, a lot of these teams that Cleveland has lost to aren't bad at all. So I don't know. If I, maybe it's the fact that you know the teams that they're playing know how good they are how good the Cavs are on paper and they are looking to they are looking to give them their best shot and they're giving them the best shot and winning. So it's just one of those things where, you know, it's early, like I said, eight games into the season. Twenty games I think will be kind of the start of the barometer to see how good teams really are. And we just gotta see what happens in the next twelve for the Cavs. Okay. Tyler, I want to talk to you about the Washington Wizards. Uh, they went out west, and they had one of the wildest West Coast swings in recent memory as they had a highly anticipated matchup with the Los Angeles Lakers uh, due to the ultimate hype man, uh, LeVar Ball, you know, talking about, you know, his son and, and how he wasn't going to lose two in a row in, in, in the same week and how he was going to give John Wall the business and then, you know, the Wizards chirping back. So we had a highly anticipated regular season game in which the Lakers – found a way to win. So then the Wizards followed that up by traveling to the World Champs. And they were playing extremely well. Had the Champs down by 18, 20 at some points. But that was all mired by Bradley Beal getting into a scuffle with Draymond Green and the Wizards blowing all of the lead and losing to the Golden State Warriors. 
So then they travel up to Sacramento. They handle business there, get a nice win. And then the last night of the road trip, they found a way to blow another 20-point lead, but this time to the Phoenix Suns. So, Tyler, what in the world is going on with the Wizards? Well, let me add, let me add to the fact that that Wizards game, believe it or not, was in D.C. Um, against Phoenix. They flew home. To, oh, they, man. After the Sacramento trip, they flew home. And according to my D.C. folks, my, my, my D.C. spies, uh, you know, John Wall, Kicked back, had a few, had a few bottles and stuff in the club, and had some fun. And and of course, uh, I tell them the DC nightlight gets them every time. And it kind of got to the Wizards in the second half because they looked like they had absolutely no legs against the Suns, and they just kept making shot after shot, blowing a twenty-two point. And of course, they blew a twenty-two point lead. But then again, um, as a Wizards fan over the last four years, I should be used to this. They've blown. The Wizards have yet to figure out how to rotate over to shooters defensively. Um, it's it's between bad rotations, between gambling on gambling for steals that they don't get, uh, uh, between um, not having any size on the glass to rebound because Yamahimi, even though Yamahimi is healthy, he's just just not a presence out there. Gortat is strictly an offensive center. He has no no clue defensively on how to how to box out and gain position. He's just just two steps slower than the team's best rebounder that he's matched up against. And to be honest, I think that the guards are at fault too. Because they they tend to take play two steps off guys and try to anticipate passes. And they get burnt on on backdoor cuts and screens. So uh, something has to be done. Um, unfortunately, Scott Brooks isn't particularly known for his defensive prowess, and I think that's part of the reason why he was run out of Oklahoma City. So I, I'm I'm kind of I'm about as numb as the team is right now after the Phoenix lost. Uh, you know, Wall is going to have to take it upon himself and take some responsibility. Um, to remind the guys that they haven't won anything, um, you know they had a great appearance in the in the Eastern Conference uh, semis, but you know they feel like they gave that away because of just lack of defensive ten- defensive intensity. I mean, Kelly Olynyk burned them for twenty five points in the in a game seven. Uh, not to mention they know that they gave away game five. Um, you know, they had a, another uh, double-digit lead. So this is something I've seen before, and, and the Wizards have seen this bad movie before, and yet it, rears, it you know, rears its ugly head, and it, it's just going to have to be fixed because they're not going to outscore teams, not all of them, and particularly not in the Western Conference. So, so they're going to have to be some possessions where they get some stops. All right. Dwayne, bring you back in. We're going to talk about the Houston Rockets as they have five road wins in this early season. Uh, seems to be that Houston, uh, you know, hasn't missed a beat. Uh, Chris Paul getting hurt may have been a blessing in disguise for them as they've, you know, got gone back to their original style of play. And uh, seems like they've got a different intensity. Eric Gordon this year has been 
fantastic. Uh, they're still trying to figure out uh, what to do with Ryan Anderson, but you know he's still making shots, so he can still play, get on the court. Um, just kind of talk about Houston. Uh, kind of, you know, have you, you know, what you see from them? Uh, there seem to be um, not have, you know, a little bit better on defense, even after losing Patrick Beverly. So, you know, just their improvement, and, and uh, you know, can they go far? Can they be the team to upset the Warriors in the West? That's a tough question, and I want to say at the moment, no. Um, yeah, they beat the Warriors on opening night because Durant's buzzer beater got waved off. Um, then they went to Sacramento. Maybe the Kings are young and very inexperienced. Um, they won on a Gordon buzzer beater in Philadelphia. They then they then uh, beat the Hornets at the hive and and then they went on the road and they beat the Knicks. But it's the Knicks, so it's not surprising. Um right now, I would say with the current team that they have now, um with the with Chris Paul comes back, I say they give the Warriors all they got, but um I just can't see it because the Warriors just have that more defensive intensity. They have the more two-way game of the teams. Um, yeah, Chris Paul's good on steals. James Harden, he's improved on defense, but still like questionable. And and um, right now they looking at the schedules. Like I mean, they the home wins. They beat the Mavericks, lost to the Grizzlies, and they lost to the Sixers at home. So uh, yeah, five of the six wins for the Rockets have been on the road. But, you know, you can win as much as you want on the road, but you still got to win games at home. And so um, Houston right now, and it's really funny, the Rockets are like the third news headline right now in, in that city with the Astros winning the World Series and the, and the Texans losing to Sean Watson. So um, we'll see how it plays out. They do have a game in Atlanta that should be a win, but they got a game Friday they got game Saturday night at home against the against the Jazz and then then they played the Cavaliers right right following that so um we'll just have to see how it goes right now I don't think they have it they have it right now what it takes to beat the Warriors we'll see what Chris Paul gets back how it plays out now Tyler I'm gonna bring you back for the final NBA topic as the Boston Celtics They've recovered from uh, the uh, opening uh, two nights as they uh, took losses, uh, seem to have recovered from the loss of Gordon Hayward. Uh, they're playing fantastic defense, uh, allowing around 94 points a game. Uh, just talk about the Celtics, what you see from them, um, kind of how they've had to reshuffle uh, their lineups and their rotations uh, without Gordon Haywood, and, uh, you know, can they sustain this uh, all the way through the playoffs? Um, Boston is interesting to me. They they seem to figure out that if they copy the blueprint that Brad Stevens has from Butler, where they run a lot of a lot of slow motion offense and you know get the ball to your score, let him create, and he and we'll make enough shots off of our set offense and some some turnover and some and a few fast break points, then you will guard against us in our set. Um, What's shocking about this is, you know, Boston apparently had given away their top two defenders in trades in Jay Crowder and Avery Bradley. 
So that means this is a team. This is actually a team defensive effort. Um, you know, so you got to give them credit. Uh, Stevens has kind of figured out how to make the team slow down a little, just a little bit, and play to their play to their strengths, which is some high pick and roll with Al Horford sitting at the top of the three point line and uh, Kyrie going one on one and still getting ball movement to get uh, to get your perimeter guys some open looks and. Uh, Marcus Smart's contributions on the offensive end are just icing on the cake. I mean, he's he is now your team's uh, your team's top defender, so he'll he'll take the best matchup. Uh, you're getting some some great performances from Jalen Brown and uh, and Rozier, so you you still have the depth that you need to compete in the Easter Conference. But the question is, are you going to score enough buckets in the half court set? And right now they are. All right. Now, Dwayne, I would let you jump in on what you're seeing from the Celtics since you said that they are your favorite team. So kind of what have you seen uh, after the Hayward injury that has uh, sparked them to win six straight games? Good question. So I think with um, – I think it's all boils down to, A, rallying around what happened to Gordon. You know, he is out the walking boot. He is um, – I'm in the cast now, so you know, shout out to him getting getting um making progress. Also with the it's all really been about defense, which has been what Brad Stevens wanted to instill in this team since he took over. And and pretty much the right personnel and the right lineups. It's really boiled down to that. And Kyrie Irving obviously is he's Kyrie, so we know he's going to get his, but he's making everybody around the team better offensively. He's making Jalen Brown look good. He's making Jason Tatum look good. He's making Marcus Smart look good. They're 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 picking the right spots in terms of in terms of shooting the ball. They're playing very well in defense, um, and also with the with the way that the all the talent that the Celtics did lose, you know, they have put it together very well just in the just with the way the lineups because Steven said even after the Hayward injury, there's gonna be a whole lot of many different looks, many different lineups and he's used that to his advantage. So it keeps the opponents guessing. All right, all right. So just a reminder that this has been Know the Score. This week's show has been brought to you by Audible.com. You can get a free trial uh, and a free uh, download over at www.audibletrial.com forward slash know the score. Choose from 150,000 titles, audiobooks that range from documentaries, uh, fiction, nonfiction, sci-fi, thriller. Um, all you have to do, again, is go over to www.audibletrial.com. Uh, trial.com forward slash know the score and please support audible and CSPN. So Dwayne, we're going to open it up to you, man. Anything that you'd like to, you know, mention or shout outs or thank yous uh, here at the end of the show. Um, as usual, thank you guys for having me. I uh, thank the CSPN family, all the shows that are going on. Shout out to the new rock solid podcast as well. Very happy for the, cast on there the ratchet ramblings uh jeremy candace doing their thing uh 
very big fan of all those. So as usual, thank you for having me. Um, find me on Twitter at the Libra Icon. Find me on um, Instagram, Snapchat, all those same names. So um, shout out to everybody that has been there, past, present, will be there in the future. Thank you. All right. Mr. Tyler Ball, your final thoughts, sir? Um, now that I'm, I'm thinking about the, um, I'm going to check out a football life, um, on the NFL network tonight. Uh, the focus is on Jim Kelly. Um, I think that Jim is, is an unbelievable story. Um, despite the fact that, uh, he was unable to win a Super Bowl, he's considered to be one of the, um, better quarterbacks of the 20th century. Um, he designed, you know, he is the trigger man in the, the, in the Buffalo Bills, uh, K gun, uh, fun offense, which featured a single back and quick tempo. And, um, just a lot of the things that a lot of teams do on the collegiate level. And some even do to a certain extent in the NFL. Um, uh, you can see a lot of the Patriots, and what they do as far as, you know, your single, your single set back along with Brady, uh, sometimes in the shotgun, um, you know, n- less, less traditional eye formation sets. Um, you got versions of, of the shotgun. You got the pistol where it's a, a, a four yard, um, your quarterback standing four yards behind the line and they can swiftly hand off or, or give to, to anyone coming on the wing. So a lot of a lot of element elements that you saw during the run of the Buffalo Bills you see in college football. And I just thought that Kelly was just an amazing, um, amazing trigger man who had a quick release, who was incredibly accurate, and he knew the strengths of all of his uh pieces um at wide receiver. Uh James Lofton, Andre Reed, um uh Keith McKellar, Pete Messelars. Uh, it's just just great weapons, and, and of course uh, Thurman Thomas and his backup Kenneth Davis, just uh, you know fast guys who could catch and and do a little bit of everything. So you know, plenty plenty of games that that I could see. Um, you know, the Bills bring up bring up upwards of forty points a game. So um, it's just cool to to sit back and watch. Um, watch a quarterback uh, lead his team and be very, very good at what he does in this era. And it also just reminds me of how just the quarterback play is just not good in the league right now. And we've, you know, we've talked about that on several episodes, but uh, just going back and watching Jim Kelly is just going to remind me of how, how the league has currently not adjusted to what's going on in college football. And there's a disconnect within the quarterback community when they move up to the NFL. And I think in order for play to get better, this has to be fixed. All right. I'm going to also stick, stick with the theme of college football as this past weekend, we probably had one of the greatest games in recent memory for regular season as the Ohio state Buckeyes rallied back uh, in the second half, particularly in the fourth quarter 
uh, to upset the number two ranked Penn State Nittany Lions. Uh, Penn State started out fast, took the opening kickoff, ran it all the way back, had a 14 nothing lead. Uh, basically, uh, I know it was 38 to 25 for you know going into the fourth quarter, and uh, Ohio State rallied. JT Barrett uh, for all the. Um, you know, negative press and 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 people being down on him. Uh, the kid uh, just came up and made every big play, every big throw in that fourth quarter, and uh, grabbed them back, and they won thirty nine to thirty eight, and just you know one of the best games you know you could watch. Um, so kudos to J T Barrett and and Ohio State, and also kudos to the Georgia Bulldogs as they are the number one team in the newly released college football playoff. Uh, rankings as we also have Alabama in the second seed. Uh, I forgot who was three and four, but really the top two is kind of what matters right now. Um, a lot of people are Notre Dame you know, and Clemson. Oh, Notre Dame and Clemson. Okay, thank you. So um, ACC uh, representing uh, big time there, and I know that Notre Dame and Miami are, are in the top ten as well. So ACC football representing pretty well. But uh, there's a lot of controversy right now about you know. Does Georgia deserve to be number one? Clearly, you know, Alabama's just been destroying folks. But, uh, you know, that game where they went on the road and they beat Notre Dame is looming large because the more Notre Dame wins, the better that win looks. So, you know, shout out to Georgia. And, uh, you know, hopefully the success, you know, and the unexpectedness, because I don't think anybody really expected Georgia to be number one when this poll came out. Hopefully it doesn't go to their head and they don't get tripped up and we get the epic battle everybody's looking forward to in the SEC championship game between possibly a number one Georgia and a number two Alabama. Because South Carolina is next at Georgia and they're six and two and they can upend them pretty easily. Yeah, so definitely going to be one of those games where Georgia is going to have to focus and handle prosperity and, and handle the love that, that they've received uh, from the national media and the uh, people who vote for the playoff committee. So, um, you know, the fun part of college football is definitely going to start now, now that we have the rankings out. Uh, last year it was like it was a curse to be number one because everybody got knocked off as soon as they got named number one. So we'll see if Georgia can – can hold on to it through the end of the season. So that's the story that I'm looking for uh, for the rest of college football season. So with that being said, for our special guest, Dwayne, a.k.a. the the Libra icon on Twitter, and my co-host, Tyler Ball. You can find him on Twitter at TABall1. I'm Don DeLaRente, and now you know the score.